uh, Jesus' previous teaching set the stage for what he, what he did in, the, in Peter's life, particularly in that story. And we talked about how for us the same is true. That our experiences with God are cumulative. I know nobody likes that word because we immediately go back to school and we think about that final that we have to take that leads everything, you know, everything you learn the whole semester is covered in that one final. We go, oh my gosh, it's so daunting. Can we just have like a final test and that be the thing? But that's not how it works. Our relationship with God is cumulative. It's growing as we grow. We also learn that our obedience paves the way for miraculous work, or as we would say, God's exclusive activity. And in the wake of God's activity, we experience humility and we experience transformation as God continues to work in our lives. And experiencing God's grace as that happens is what gives us the desire to follow Jesus. And at the end of Peter's experience, where, where they catch all these fish and Andrew and James and John are there with them. Jesus tells them from this moment on, you're going to start catching people. And, and I wondered, I was thinking about that more this week. I wonder if that sounded super weird to them when Jesus said that. Because it kind of sounds weird to me. We're going to catch people. That just sounds like not a good thing. But what Jesus was talking about was as they started following him, that they were going to start sharing the gospel, right? So they, they come up on land and they leave their boats and everything and they follow him. And this God-exclusive activity that happens in our life, this display of authority and power was enough to convince these four men that this man of Jesus was worth following, was worth giving up everything to follow. And we're going to see today, and as we look at Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 6, yet another display of this kind of power in the story that Luke shares. This passage that we read last week and the passage for today are being used by Luke to show that Jesus has ultimate power and authority over all things. And I loved the direction that God took worship this morning as Lizzie was talking about the name of Jesus and what that conjures up and what that means to us. What Luke is doing, we've talked about this a ton, is trying to convince the Gentile readers that he's writing this to that Jesus was the Son of God. And so he's telling these stories in a way that frames that so they can get that in their minds that Jesus is the Son of God. And after these two stories, we're going to see this next week, that controversy starts coming in as the religious leaders push back against this power and authority that Jesus is displaying. But before we get to that, I want to start us off this morning. Luke, if you'd come up and read passage, uh, the, the Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16 for us. Chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was, covered with, who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. When Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the, yet the news around him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Thank you. I want to cover a bit of background information this morning as we get started to kind of help us understand the, the social and the cultural impacts of what we just read. So leprosy was used in scripture as a, a general term for skin diseases. It's not exactly what we would describe as leprosy today. But I want us to look, we're going we're gonna to do something super weird. We're going to read Leviticus this morning. So if you got your Bible with me, open up to Leviticus chapter 13. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 8 and then uh, 45 and 46. Because leprosy um, and, and 
in Leviticus, we see some very specific laws pertaining to the diagnosis and the treatment of these types of skin ailments. And I want to say as, as we read this, God is giving this information to Moses and Aaron because he's trying to help them learn how to keep diseases at bay, how to keep everybody clean. This is not the only type of medical instruction that Moses and Aaron get, but this is what we're going to deal with specifically today. So Leviticus chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, When a person has a swelling scab or spot on the skin of his body, it may be a serious disease on the skin of his body, he is to be brought to the priest Aaron or to one of his sons, the priest. The priest will examine the sore on the skin of his body, If the hair in the sore sore has turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is in fact a serious skin disease. After the priest examines him, he must pronounce him unclean. But if the spot on the skin of his body is white and does not appear to be deeper than the skin and the hair has not turned white, the priest will quarantine the stricken person for seven days. The priest will then re-examine him on the seventh day. If he sees that the sore remains unchanged and does not spread on the skin, the priest will quarantine him for another seven days. The priest will examine him again on the seventh day, and if the sore is faded and is not spread on the skin, the priest is to pronounce him clean. It is a scab. The person is to wash his clothes, and he will become clean. But if the scab spreads further on his skin, after he has presented himself to the priest for his cleansing, he is to present himself Again to the priest. The priest will examine him, and if the scab is spread on the skin, the priest will pronounce him unclean. He has a serious skin disease. And then jump into verse 45 and 46. It says, The person who has a case of a serious skin disease is to have his clothes torn, his hair hanging loose, and he must cover his mouth and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He will then remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. You think you ever hear that in a sermon? No? Okay. Make sure you got the white hairs on a scab, specifically. As we can see, God took the diagnosis. Why is everybody laughing at Mike? Oh. <laughs> God took the diagnosis of these skin ailments very seriously. All right. He gives Moses and Aaron these laws regarding how they're to be diagnosed and how a person is to be treated during that diagnosis and until they're clean again. Ironically, right, for us coming out of a global pandemic a few years ago, we understand and can feel the results of a quarantine better than ever, right? We know what that feels like. When Luke is telling this story, it's not about physical healing only, but it's also about emotional and social healing as well. For this man in our story to approach Jesus was against the law. And for Jesus to touch him was also against the law and considered quite dangerous. These regulations were put in place by God to prevent the spreading of the disease throughout the camp, right? When God gives uh, Moses and Aaron these laws, it's when they're in the wilderness, wandering around. Nevertheless, this man in our story seizes the opportunity when he sees Jesus to ask him for something that will change his life. Right? The word is out. We talked about that last week. And the people know, and this is point number one, that Jesus has the authority and the power to heal. In Matt Whitman's podcast series on Matthew, he points out that in Matthew's gospel, this account of this healing happens on the way down from the mountain where Jesus had been teaching. It's a very significant time of teaching that we know as the Sermon on the Mount, right? So look at how Matthew describes this event. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 through 8 two. He said, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. 
And when he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus, I want us to picture this, has spent a lot of time up on top of this mountain redefining for the people that are listening what it means to live in relationship with God. He's, he's sharing these laws that these people had been taught their whole life and then saying, listen, I know that you think that this is what it means, but this is what it actually means. And we can see from the crowd's response that this was revolutionary for them. All of a sudden, Scripture seemed to be making sense. And while they're on the way down from the mountain, Jesus has this opportunity to show the crowd exactly the kind of thing he's been teaching about. According to the Old Testament law, this man had never, should have never approached the crowd. But Jesus is about to show this man and the crowd what it really means to love and to care for others. I want us to consider for a moment what it must have been like for, for this man. As we went back, if you go back and read all of Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, there's a lot more there, but you're going to see that this man would have been a social outcast, that he would have been alone. He wouldn't be able to see his family or friends and was forced to live outside the city. That's why he is approaching Jesus as he's coming down the mountain because it's outside of Capernaum. He literally had to dress different. He had to wear a mask. We know how uncomfortable that is. And he had to announce his presence to anyone who approached yelling, unclean, unclean. Sounds like a miserable way to exist. There's no real options for this guy. This is, this is just where he is. And these laws don't discuss how to heal these various skin diseases. They just tell you how to, to diagnose it and then what to do about it, which is just kick them out of the camp so that nobody else gets it. In a last-ditch effort, this man bows before Jesus, and he asks him to heal him. And the leper asked him, if you will. And I want to point out, he doesn't say, if you can. He says, if you will. That's an important distinction. And some of the, the commentaries I read said this may have been an expression of unworthiness, as in, like, I'm not worthy, but if you will, please make me clean. Which would make sense knowing all the, the way he's been treated. It's definitely, though, an expression of faith. But Jesus shows him that he is worthy. He does have value in God's eyes. And he rewards that faith with a miraculous healing. Look what Jesus does in, in verse 13. It says, reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So Jesus touches him and it heals him. And there's two really significant things that Jesus does with these actions. Number one, Jesus crosses these social and cultural norms to show that this man and the crowds that he cares. And based on the knowledge of the day, this was an incredibly risky move for any normal person. Remember, they didn't know what caused these skin diseases. They just have these rules about how to keep them from spreading. But Jesus is not a normal person. and He does what no one else can do or would do. He touches him. If, you ever, if you've ever had to quarantine, which most of us have, if you've ever had to do that for a significant amount of time, you understand how big a deal this, this simple touch was. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, after the boys came back from summer camp, we didn't know it, but they had COVID, um, and Amy got it. And so when we figured out that that's what it was, we quarantined them to their rooms. Was that fun, guys? 
negative, okay? They had to stay in there. Um, the CDC guidelines right now is you have to stay in there, you have to stay quarantined until you can get two negative test results 24 hours apart or till after 10 days has elapsed from when you showed symptoms. So these guys were in their rooms for 10 days. Luke and Joshua share rooms, so they weren't alone, but they were stuck in their room and Amy was stuck in her room by herself. Like we'd let them come out and we had a quarantine table and they could eat there and we would bring their food on paper plates and like step back and... At the end of those 10 days, you know what they wanted more than anything? Hugs. They wanted to be touched. Similarly, when, we, when COVID first started in the world, y'all remember how crazy that was? Like when they were like, everybody go home. There's no toilet paper, but go home. Like y'all remember all that, right? After, I don't remember how long we had been in the house, but it seemed like forever. Um, Mother's Day rolled around. And so for Mother's Day, we built my mom a hug curtain. Did y'all ever see these? It's a PVC frame with a clear shower curtain. And, and you would have people stand on like, and we went, we brought it set up on mom's back porch. She knew immediately what it was. She just started crying and she got to hug all her grandkids through the hug curtain. Like quarantine is a horrible, horrible thing to have to experience, but it's incredible how much we learned, yearned for physical touch as a result of that. In both of these cases, with my kids and with my mom, physical touch was a huge communicator of love. And it's the same for this man. When Jesus touches him, it's a lot bigger than just the physical healing. It was an act that also brought emotional and social healing as well. The second thing that happens as Jesus touched him is the man's instantly healed. I know this idea makes people nervous these days because of the popularity of the prosperity gospel, you know, where if you do X, Y, and uh, then you're going to get Z, right? People try to manipulate this and make it something that it's not. But God can and still does heal people, not everybody. And I, I can't explain why that is. Um, for some that he heals and others he doesn't. But I want us to understand that if we focus all our attention on why God does or does not, we're going to miss what God's trying to do or trying to accomplish through that. The reality is, is that sickness, death, pain, all of those things are still realities in this world. And unless the Lord returns while we're still alive, everyone alive right now is going to die one day, right? That's where we're headed. And the vast majority of them, Christians included, are going to die as a result of some physical problem with our bodies. Our bodies limit us. We know that. Ultimately, our full physical healing is going to happen when we get to heaven, right? Our bodies will be made perfect. We're going to get new bodies, in fact. But that doesn't mean that God does not sometimes heal in order to guide our hearts and our minds towards him. I, I think it was Matt Whitman I was listening to last week who talked about when he was, yeah, it was Matt because he was looking at this in the Matthew book. Um, but he talked about for him, as he thinks about healing, it's always got to include something theological. God's trying to teach his people something about himself in order for that to happen. As I was preparing for the message this week, um, Monday afternoon, I was talking to God. I was just like, God, remind me of a time in my life where there was a miraculous healing that I can point to and share with the church. And I was driving around um, Tuesday afternoon, and God reminded me of a guy named Thomas. He was a, a young man at the time. Um, he was one of Bethany's students many, many years ago in junior high when we were at First Methodist in Alexandria. At the time this story takes place, Thomas is in college, perfectly healthy, great kid, 
Life looked great. One day, he and his mom went to go play tennis with some friends here in town. They had been playing for about two hours. It was hot, like it's been hot recently here. And so they were, you know, hot and sweaty, and they took a break. And as they're standing there chatting, getting a drink of water, Thomas just falls out, stops breathing for no apparent reason. So his, his mom and his friends do CPR until the ambulance arrives, and they take him to the hospital. And when they get there, Thomas is unresponsive, and he stays in a coma for six days. And the doctors can't explain why. They don't know what happened. They don't know what caused it. When we found out at the time, Bethany and I went up there and prayed with him and the family a few times. And then I think it was on day five. I called Thomas to kind of get some of these details back in my mind, but I think it was around day five. His church held a prayer vigil for him, and so a ton of people showed up at their church, and we prayed for him uh, for several hours that night, and I believe it was on day six, um, Thomas woke up. His mind was alert. He was active. Now, his body, because he had been like on a liquid diet on IVs and all that for six days, his body had some, some things that it took a little while to get over, but his life went right back to normal. Uh, in fact, a couple of months, several months later, Bethy and I got to help him. I officiated their wedding and she did all the, the, the behind the scenes organizing stuff. We don't know why this happened and we don't know why God woke him up after six days. And I asked Thomas, I was like, from your perspective, looking back, what was this, what did this mean for you? And what do you think God was trying to do it? And he's like, man, I, I don't really know. He said, but I can tell you this. He said, God brought our church and our family together. And our family felt so much love for one another and so much love for God as a result of this. I think God wanted to, to reveal himself in a big way to that church and to the people that were involved, involved in that story. With stories like this, it's easy to get lost in what happened and in the details and, and not think about what's really important. What's really important is what we're about to get to. Immediately after Jesus heals this man in Luke's story, he gives them specific instructions because this healing was not just for the man. The message for Jesus was more important than the miracle. And I want us to see that. The miracle, the stories of people being healed as we read all through the New Testament, they're incredible. But they're not the most important part about who God is. They're the byproduct of God's activity. And Jesus wanted people to understand why he came. Jesus did not come only to heal a select number of people. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus' ministry spanned about three years. And if he had just spent his time focused on healing people, he could have healed a lot of people. But it would have been to that select time period in world history, and then it would have been over. That's not why he came. He spent all this time on earth not to heal people, but to redeem all of us. Jesus came to redeem all of his people. It was his goal. It was the redemption of the world. And he used these miracles as a way to show that he was the son of God. And this exclusive activity isn't the purpose of our relationship with God. Knowing God is the purpose. And that's why Jesus focused on the message more than the miracles. He used the miracles. We talk about what we call God-exclusive activity. Some people might call a miracle in the abiding cycle. But the end game is not the God-exclusive activity. The end game is knowing God. And if we fixate on anything other than the end game of, of knowing God, then we're missing the point. This is why Jesus told the man, don't tell anybody. In, in verse 14, the first part of that, it says, then he ordered him, tell no one. And it's not because Jesus wanted this to be a secret. It wasn't that he was scared. It wasn't that he was ashamed, anything like that. Jesus didn't want his power to become the primary focus 
for the people. Jesus wanted people to know God. There was a saying that was real popular um, when I was younger, back when we were singing some of those songs that we sang a while ago, um, that said, look for God's face, not for his hands. And it's not to say we shouldn't look for God's activity, but our focus needs to be knowing God himself. It served as a reminder that our goal should always be to know God, not just to seek the things that he can do for us. This is why Jesus is telling people not to say anything. Notice, though, what he does tell the man to do. Look at the rest of verse 14. It says, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for the cleansing as a testimony to them. So after healing him, Jesus instructs the man to follow through with the proper way of being reintroduced back into the community. As we read earlier, in order to be accepted back into the community, those that were afflicted with skin diseases had to go before the priest who would declare them clean and then lead them through the ritual process of becoming clean. If you're interested in the ritual process, keep reading chapter 13. That's what I skipped over, okay? But this, and this is important, this was the only legal method for this man to re-enter society. But why did Jesus do this for him? A couple of reasons. First, Jesus is communicating that going to the priest was more important than telling others in order to obey the law. Jesus is putting the focus not on the miracle, but on the process. Remember, the priest had to legally clear him. This is so important because Jesus is more concerned with the message than the miracle. Jesus isn't circumventing the law here. He's fulfilling the law. That's why Jesus tells him to go to the priest. Because he wants the priest to understand. He wants this man legally cleared so that when he does tell people, because he's going to tell people, when he does tell people, not only did Jesus heal him, but this has been verified by the religious leaders by the legal recourse that was required so that he could re-enter society as a clean man. This is why he came. And the crowds and the religious leaders began to get a glimpse of that. Jesus had just spent all this time on the mountain. He's redefining what it meant to be in a relationship with God in comparison to what they'd previously been taught and what they'd seen. And this healing shows that Jesus not only understands the law, but also has the power to fulfill that law. The second thing is he wanted the religious leaders to see that he had the authority and the power to heal. This is a testimony to the religious leaders. This is Jesus declaring to them, I am who I say that I am. Again, Jesus used this as a way to prove who he was. If this man was an outcast, it means that the priest had previously seen him and declared him unclean. So they know this man. They've examined his disease. And now he goes before them as the law requires, and they see that that disease is gone instantly. I don't know this for certain, but based on other stories in the Bible, there was little hope for people like this man who found themselves with this kind of disease. As I said before, the chapter 13 and 14 of Leviticus don't uh, say anything about treatment. Just if you have it, get out of here. That was it. So Jesus was teaching in the synagogues during this whole time. And the religious leaders have been hearing these messages. Remember in Nazareth when he said, I end the reading of this, you've seen the fulfillment of this prophecy. And they throw Jesus out and they want to kill him right? These, these teachings that are happening all in the northern region of the Sea of Galilee, the, the religious leaders are hearing, and now they're seeing further proof that this man who, is, who has been healed. And there's, there's conflicting opinions about how the news spread. 
Um, something that the man didn't do as he was told, and he told other people before he told the priest. And some point out that if this did happen on the hills of the Sermon Mount, um, there's a large cloud of people with him. If you look at verse 1 in Matthew chapter 8 again, it says, when he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. So if that's the case, and the large crowds following Jesus down this mountain, they're above, they can see because he's below because they're following him down a mountain. He heals the man, the leprosy goes away. This crowd saw it, right? Regardless, the word spreads and people flock to find Jesus to be healed and to listen to his teaching. That's in Luke chapter 5, verse 15. It says, but the news about him spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. I think Luke includes this final detail um, because it's really important to the message and to the character of Jesus. And that's what Lizzie was pointing us towards this morning in worship is understanding the person of Jesus. What's the goal in our study is to know him and to make him known, right? Luke includes this final detail because it's what defines Jesus' ministry. This is the last point. Jesus desired oneness with the Father more than the affirmation of the crowds. I don't know about y'all, but if I had done something that's that cool, I'd want people to know it was me that did it. Just being honest, right? I think all of us would. When we do a really good job at something, we're like, look at this thing that I built, right? Come on, tell me it's nice. Everybody wants that affirmation, correct? Not Jesus. He wants the affirmation of the Father. We saw this, Luke make a reference to this same character of Jesus in chapter 4, verse 42. We read a couple weeks ago. It said, when it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him, and they came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. One of the authors I read this week points out that Jesus had already resisted the devil's temptation to become a popular miracle worker. And I was like, man, that is so good right? When the devil was tempting Jesus and he's like, throw yourself down from here. And scripture says that angels will lift you. That's what this is. The devil was trying to to tempt him to, to do a miracle and gain popularity that way. And Jesus is continuing to resist that temptation by going out to deserted places. He's purposely avoiding the cities at this point because the news about him has spread. And, you know, he didn't want to walk out the door and the people standing there like paparazzi all over him, heal me, heal me, heal me, because that's not why he came. He came to explain to people who the person of God was. He's modeling for us and for the disciples the kind of ministry that they're to have. In comparison, the religious leaders made it their mission to flaunt their power and their influence over the people. And Jesus is purposely being different from that. Again, if we look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, the, the, it says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Jesus does the opposite of this, and he's role modeling what it looks like to be in a genuine relationship with God. Because Jesus' ministry was not about pleasing people, it was about loving people. It was about being in this communion with God and doing what God told him to do. His ministry is characterized by this relationship, not just by the things that made him famous. But people are impressed by his command. Of an understanding of scripture and his ability to fulfill that scripture. Where the religious, religious leaders, we talked about this a few weeks ago, they just restated what the guy before them had said and they don't fix the problem. They just state the problem. Jesus, however, sees the needs of people, addresses the problems and solves the issues for them. Jesus' ability to do this came down from his relationship with God. Again, Jesus' goal is not to become famous or just heal people but to teach them about who God is. 
His goal is to reveal to the world the nature of God. He's able to do this by staying connected to the Father. He didn't let the work of ministry get in the way of his relationship with God. And in doing so, he role modeled for his disciples and for you and I what it looks like to have a proper relationship with God. So as we think about this passage, as we think about how it relates to our lives, there's a few important takeaways. Okay, these are the things that I want us to to make some application in our lives this week. As we or others uh, are facing illness, it's more than okay to ask Jesus if he's willing to heal them. It's okay to do that. Jesus had the authority and the, and the power to heal as he desires, but we got to recognize that while we may not understand the why, God has a reason if he does or does not heal somebody. One day we're all going to be healed, but until that time, we submit to God's will and we ask him to do what he wills. Second, if God does heal, we should not focus only on the miracle, but what on God is trying to communicate through that miracle. Again, the message is more important than the miracle. We need to remember that God's desire is for us to know him. And it's detrimental to the process if we fixate on the God-exclusive activity and not on God himself. And then number three, in our day-to-day activities, pursue your relationship with God, not the things that God can do for you. We talk about this all the time, but I feel compelled to remind us again that if we are abiding in Christ the things that we ask for will be God's will because we've become aligned with one another. Oneness with God is the most important part of our lives because it was the most important part of Jesus' life. Church, there's no doubt that God wants to work in our lives and he wants to bring uh, an end to suffering. And his focus is always going to be on the larger goal of the world's redemption. Let's commit to spending our energy on fulfilling our calling in that goal of redeeming the world, on the things that God has told us personally to do. Jesus has a plan for each of us, but if we're not abiding in him, if we're not listening to him, we're going to miss out on knowing him. And in doing so, we're going to miss out on the purpose of all of our lives, and that's to share the gospel. Seek Jesus, hear him, obey him, and tell the world what you experience so they can get a glimpse of the kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, as we, as we think about your ability, your power to heal, God, it's so easy for us to, to take that in a lot of different directions. It's my hope and my prayer this morning that as we think about healing that we need in our own lives, Father, that we could focus not on just the physical or the emotional or the social healing that we need, but Father, that we could focus on you and through that relationship, you would bring the healing that we really need. Father, often it's hard to to figure out exactly what it is that's going on in our lives, the places that we're hurting, the places that need healing, but God, you know them. Father, this week as we meditate on your word, as we're thinking about your ability to heal, Father, I pray that you would guide us in your will and that we would pray according to your will so that we can come to know you more. In Jesus' name we pray.